0: So a woman sent this email to her husband. Let me read it to you. To my darling husband, before you return from your overseas trip, I just wanted to let you know about the small accident I had with your truck when I turned into the driveway. Fortunately, not too bad, and and I really didn't get hurt, so please don't worry too much about me. I was coming home from shopping when I turned into the driveway and accidentally pushed down on the accelerator instead of the brake. The garage door is slightly bent, but the truck fortunately came to a halt when it bumped into your car. I am really sorry, but I know with your kind-hearted personality you will forgive me. You know how much I love you and care for you, my sweetheart. I'm attaching a picture for you, and I cannot wait to hold you in my arms again, your loving wife. And P.S., your girlfriend accidentally called our home phone. Unlike what you have just witnessed, honest leadership unites under pressure. This morning, with all candor, I want to tell you that I'm recruiting. I'm not looking for people to get involved in some organizational program. But I'm looking for people who know at that moment You just know. You just know that someone has to rise up. Someone has to stand up. Someone has to do something. That you would take the point. You would take the lead. And you would say, We can change this, we can make a difference. I love this definition. And I want to give it to you. It's not in your notes, but I want you to see it. A leader is a person who selects noble objectives and pursues them with such intensity and sacrifice that he carries others with him. In fact, I want you to read that with me. Read it with me, would you? A leader is a person who selects noble objectives and pursues them with such intensity and sacrifice that he carries others with him. We began last week looking at a group of people who were gathered in a place called Thessalonica in the first century. Their culture, their custom, was to have an immense amount of gods to help them work through life. And therefore, they worshipped many idols. These Jewish guys show up and tell them that there are not many gods but explain that there is only one God and he had a son. His name is Jesus Christ and he proved his divinity by his death and resurrection and by that death and resurrection he also provides forgiveness of sins and a promise of a life that lasts forever, and that he would leave this earth, this Jesus, and come back, return, and take us to be with him forever. But the life we're living, we could begin living now. And those who are anticipating his return are living that life at this moment. And they bought into it. Now, because of what they did, the change of lifestyle and culture brought about by this belief in Jesus and this lifestyle of following the teachings of Jesus... They found themselves in intense opposition, in persecution, in beatings, and in death threats. When that kind of pressure hits a community, it can either turn into, if you will, a car crash, or it can turn into a community growing stronger in a unified stance. For that to happen there have got to be those who step to the forefront who who take the lead and say we can make it through this and we can make a difference and so Paul the Apostle in encouraging those folks in their intense moments describes that kind of leadership and I want you to see it for yourselves in first Thessalonians the second chapter For you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly and in spite of great opposition. You know, if you were here last week, that I told you that this past week that I would be spending time in Haiti, and I did that. I didn't realize how it affected me until I'd gotten back and landed in Miami. And I talked to two different people, I was waiting for my next flight, and they said, what was that like? And I caught myself not being able to form words because the emotions just swallowed me up. I said, the only thing I can describe it is is that it's raw. I knew it would be a different experience because I was flying out of Fort Lauderdale, heading straight to Port-au-Prince, And in the airplane, I began to be aware of of people who seemed to be leaders of organizations all flying in, converging in this one spot. Many of them, I could tell by their discussion, had some kind of a, a spiritual relationship or relationship with God, and many a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, it was interesting, the guy behind me was sitting next to a Haitian lady who he didn't know, and as we're taking off, he says, would you mind if I prayed? And he just started praying out loud on the plane. I loved it. I said, thank you, Jesus. And when he got done, she said, amen. And then I realized the guy next to me was a pastor with some of his staff going down. And then I heard other discussion, and I knew that there was something unusual happening here because leaders were converging into this one spot. I'd never been to Haiti. In fact, I'd never really flown over the Caribbean. I was just amazed at the beauty of the, of the sea and, and, and the Caribbean and the islands that are everywhere. And we flew in, and, and, and Haiti looked so beautiful from the air. Just absolutely gorgeous. And, and we came in through the bay and we landed. And as we're landing, I begin to see these, these, these collections of white and blue and they're tents, people living in tents. And I begin to see from the elevation we are as we're landing that it's not as peaceful as I thought it was. We land and we begin to taxi and as we taxi I look out and there's this, this UN outpost, United Nations with with weapons and, and, and heavy artillery, machinery, and, and, and there they are. We we park and we come off the plane and I was told that generally you come off the plane and enter into this very modern facility where you go through customs. We didn't do that because it had collapsed. They put us in buses and shipped us over to this temporary spot, and we finally got through customs. And when I walked through customs, it hit me. Chaos. Voices screaming and people wanting to know if I wanted a taxi, and and it was just a mess, and traffic outside didn't know where it was going. No one's following the laws. And I was so happy to, to see someone standing outside the barrier with a sign that said Convoy of Hope said, man, you are my hope because this is driving me crazy. I need to know somebody here. And I walked up and introduced myself and I, I, met, I met Kevin, who's in his 30s. I met David, who's in his 20s. I met Ray, who's in his 70s. And I would come to find out that these are incredible leaders who found a noble objective and have given such intensity and sacrifice so, Kevin, who's leading the whole thing, this 30 year old said to Ray, Ray, take Jack and, and walk down to where we've parked our vehicle and get him some water because he's going to need to hydrate here because it's about 85 to 90 and about 135% humidity. It's just, it's just, it's, it's hot. And so, we make our way and I'm watching and the traffic's weaving back and forth and he said just stay close to me and, and we get to this lot I'm not calling it a parking lot it's just a lot and, and, and there's some vehicles parked there and there's these guys who are guarding them and he, he leads me up and says this is our vehicle and he calls over this really big Haitian guy he says this is Ernest hey Ernest how are you and he said Ernest is our security and our bodyguard. he's packing you stay close to him you'll be okay I said Ernest come here We're going to be buds. So I had to wait for about an hour for the rest of the crew to get there. And so we're talking and they finally get there and we pile in these vehicles, these four-wheel drive vehicles, and we start down through the roads. And the roads, the traffic is just, as I said, it's chaos. And then suddenly we start turning on roads. And all I can do to explain to you is most of the roads, and it wasn't because of the earthquake, it's just the faltering infrastructure that's been there for years. As we started down through the roads, it's like like off-road four-wheeling. I mean, we're just bouncing around. If we don't have a four-wheel drive, there's no way we're going to get through there. We're going through the streets, and I start looking at houses pancaked and tilted and, and half the structure off the other half, and I'm beginning to look at the, the spray painting, and, and on some of them, there's numbers, and it's green. And I said, what is that? He said, well, those are the houses that are safe. And there's others that have yellow. I said, what's the yellow? That means that it's, it's, it's okay to go into, but it's going to have to be reinforced. And then there was those ones with red. I said, What's that? He said, Those are ones that cannot be salvaged. They're gonna have to come down. If they haven't already come down, they're gonna come down. We went by this huge amount of rubble in places, and, and they would say, There's probably still bodies in there, but they can't get to them because there's so much rubble. We're driving down these streets and water is flowing, and we know it's sewage. There's no infrastructure. We were on corners and garbage is just piled up and pigs are running back and forth and goats are going up and down the street. And then you go by this beautiful place that wasn't touched and then you go by this next section and there's just, just an immense mess and humanity, streams of humanity walking back and forth trying to figure out what to do. And I thought to myself, where do you even begin here? Well, you begin is what Paul helped us realize in the scripture. And what I want us to realize this morning is this, that we must be unceasingly courageous in our assignment. So Port-au-Prince in Haiti, highly populated. There's 9 million people in Haiti. 3 million in Port-au-Prince. I think we have a picture to show you you guys you have that and you you can't really see very well from there but that is the overlook they took us to the top of a mountain and and it looks so peaceful and it's it's just it's just this Caribbean paradise until you get down into the city three million in Port-au-Prince January 12th a 7.0 earthquake shook that place at that moment two to three million people were displaced and thousands killed. So you, walk, you, go, you go through this, this city and you see the road conditions and you see the power as it goes off and on and sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. You see the United Nations in central places through the through the city with their automatic weapons keeping peace and trying to keep control there, but the rest of the city they're not to be found, and the police force is just now getting on its feet. Medical medical help is is sparse. They're doing the best they can. And the government, the government you, you can hardly even see. These tent cities are are all over the place. And perhaps the, the best way I can describe the government is the picture of, of the palace itself where, where the, the government sits. It's pancaked. It's just incredible. And so I'm talking to, to Kevin, and, and that's Kevin. You see him there. And I said, Kevin, what are you going to do? This is just so awesome. This is just beyond comprehension. Everything is flattened here. And it was horrible before. Now it's just worse. There's no organization. And he said, oh, yeah, there is. He said, what we're doing is we're connecting with all the communities of faith. Because when you're based on Jesus, that foundation does not crumble. And so they're still intact. Their buildings may be gone, but they're still intact. And we are, we are coming to them, and through them, we are providing assistance to whoever, whoever needs it within this city as best we can. And he said the best place we can begin are with the children. See, there are no schools unless they are private schools in Haiti. And generally, they are connected to church organizations. And so we went and visited the school that you see. We went there because what they do there is they keep teaching those children how to rise above the circumstances they find themselves in and they feed them. In fact, so for many of them, if they did not get fed that day by the school, they would have no food. And so we fed them. Today in Haiti, Convoy of Hope, and there's other agencies, thank God, that are doing this too, but Convoy of Hope, who you've invested in is feeding 11,000 kids a day. We fed 600 the day we we're at this one school. 11,000 a day. And in two months, it will be 25,000 a day. Next year at this time, it will be 48,000 a day. He said, I just start where I can. I asked Kevin, what was it like the day of the earthquake. He said, I was with some friends and I was in the upper level of their house out on the, the, the veranda and he said, I could hear this sound coming. And then suddenly it shook, and I knew it was an earthquake, so I, I remembered you try to get under a door frame. But he said, I kept trying to get to the door frame, and I got finally to it and realized how flimsy it was. And so that was no good. So I went out, and I grabbed hold of a column, and I just hang, hung on. And I looked down at my friends and made their way out, and he said, They screamed, Get out of there. So he said, I made my way down. The earthquake lasted so long that I had time to even get out. For over 45 seconds, it shook. And he said, Then there was this dead silence. And then the screams began. And the cries. And then he stopped. He couldn't tell anymore. He said, but I'm here. It's the kind an of assignment that God called me to do. And so he rises up to that assignment. He has caught this noble purpose. You say, but there's so much, what little will that help? And in the same way, Paul says, my coming to you was not a failure, meaning it was not empty. It was not void of purpose or earnestness. In fact, he said, I showed up, and and, and you'll see in this passage of Scripture as you read through, Thessalonians, so often he says, you are witnesses of, you saw, you know, you watched, you saw what we did, and we pressed in harder and harder and harder, even though the odds got greater and greater and greater against us. When you do that, when you keep pushing, even though you know, that it's tough. It can cause you pain. Paul knows this. He and Silvanus or Silas came from Philippi. In Philippi, they were falsely arrested, imprisoned in stocks. They were flogged, they were beaten. Their civil rights and their legal rights were violated. When they got to Thessalonica, they're still hurting, they still have fresh wounds. But they did not stop and say, oh, we got to reassess. You know, we, we need, a, we need a, a break here. We just, he said, we saw the assignment and said, no matter the pain, no matter what happens here, we still got to press in here. And so they did, boldly and bluntly. I simply want to say to you, That if it hasn't happened yet, the time is coming when you will see an issue, a situation, a person's need, a circumstance. And God is giving you and me the opportunity to step up to that circumstance and say, yes, I will be courageous in this moment. I'm not even sure how to deal with the magnitude of this moment, but I will be courageous because here's the deal. If you are unceasingly courageous in the assignment, then you can be unwaveringly dependent on God's spirit. We can be confident that we can go to God when we're facing those issues that are so overwhelming and say, I need your spirit to blow away the obstacles. Get rid of them and help me walk through this. So Paul shows up for his assignment and the Holy Spirit shows up and an amazing thing happens and he describes it. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, for when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with what? Power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. There is this power that comes. See, there's a whole bunch of people who need good news, and Jesus is in the center of that good news. Now, I want you to catch this, because it's hard, as you're just reading through, to, to really discern this, but that whole passage we just read is a marrying of Paul's courage with God's sovereignty God said if you show up courageously I've already made up my mind what is going to transpire there and nothing's going to stop it so he said when you began to speak your words I took them and I let them penetrate deep into a person's heart they still can make the decision but they got a clarity as to what I just said it penetrated Not only that, but with those words, there was such an awareness of a divinity, a God presence, that it couldn't be argued. There it was, and it wasn't an idol, and it wasn't man-made. One of the problems we face in America today is that our words are not going deep enough into people's hearts, and they're not surrounded by this wonderful power of the Holy Spirit. And so we've got to ask, Lord Jesus, as we live out this life and have time to express who you are, your words, let your spirit be so real that people will say, you know, I don't understand all this, but there's a God thing happening here. He said it penetrated, and there was this spirit, and then came this so instantaneous conviction that they knew with an assurance that this was the truth. He said that's what, that's what transpired in a matter of three months for these people. Boom, they said it's real. It's real. And it began to change their lives. When Pam and I lived in Boise, Idaho, and I've told you a little bit about this in the past, and I I go back to, to that couple that lived next door to us, Jerry and Robin. Jerry is one of the most unique characters I've ever met. The first time I met Jerry, he came to our door after we moved in. He rang the doorbell and answered it, and he said, I'm Jerry, and I just need to ask you a question. Have there been any government agencies looking for me? I said no. He said, "Okay, thanks," and he walked off. <laughs> Jerry has been a millionaire three or four times, made it, lost it, made it, lost it, made it, lost it, and when I met him, he had lost it, but had plans on making it again. Jerry was an interesting character, and and and. and and jerry was one of those kind of people that would let you just do stuff for him because he refused to do it himself and so our lawns were were combined together and and so i would mow our yard and he would never mow his so i ended up mowing his because i didn't want it to look bad on mine and then he would just say hey thanks thanks i didn't do it for thanks you're not doing it i'll get it next time yeah right They'd have parties in the backyard. Their son was kind of wild. They'd have parties, and when they'd have parties, they would, they would drink way too much, and bottles and cans would fly over into our yard. So I'd go out, and I'd... And I'd say, Pam, Pam, look what they've done. Look, they, they don't even care. And Pam, her response, she'd make them cookies and take them over. I <laughs> said, what are you doing? said, I'm loving them. You should try it. So we got to start to know those guys and hang out with them and do stuff with them and, and, and one day Jerry just said, you know, I like your friends better than I like my friends. Can I hang out with you guys a little bit more? And then, then they, they ended up coming to a couple of our worship services and, and this was all new for them because they're from a different religion. And they were having troubles with their marriage. And and I've been talking to him about Jesus and one day I I just sat in the driveway with him and we were talking about our lives and he said, why do you believe in Jesus? And I said, what do you believe? He said, I'm a good man, I'll be fine. And so we just had this great friendship. One day I got a phone call. I was on my way out the door to go to a church board meeting and he calls and he said, Robin's gonna leave me because I'm just not doing well with her and and I knew they had troubles and he said, I need you right now. I turned to Pam and I said, "I, I gotta go to a board meeting. He said, no, you don't. So I called one of the board guys. I said, Jerry wants me to, he said, forget the board meeting. Go spend time with Jerry. So I went over with Jerry, and he told me the whole story of the mess. And and, and Jerry was a mess. He's just a horrible mess. You know, I'd have to wade through this. I'm not kidding. Stacks of porno in his garage. And so we're talking, and I said, Jerry, we've had this discussion. Let me just tell you again buddy, the only way you're going to learn to love Robin is when you learn how much Jesus loves you. When you discover that, it's just, it'll show you what love is really like. And we talked about that, and I said, so, so one of these days, you're going to have to take these steps to, to actually start to investigate Jesus and, and maybe have belief in Jesus. And so I'm talking, I said, so one of these days, you, sometime you will, one of these days, and he said, how about now? I said, excuse me. He said, what about now? So we went through this whole process of understanding what he was just asking. But what had happened at that moment is what Paul described, suddenly the spirit of God penetrated all defenses and he said, I get it. And he began a journey of understanding who Jesus is. Now, what transpired there wasn't just because of Pam and me. But there were three and four other couples who became friends with them who are believers in Jesus who just moved in life with them and just walked with them and loved them. Because when you take your courage and God's sovereignty he pulls together others who are the same and he pulls together this divine team that accomplishes what he wants to see happen. There's a movie that came out years back called Gladiator The Russell Crowe starred in the movie as Maximus. He's a gladiator that's wrongly accused, and then he's he's taken in as a gladiator, and there's this scene where he's brought to the Colosseum for the first time with other warriors from around the world, and they're put in the into this Colosseum, and they're going to live out, they find out when they're out there, the portrayal of Rome's battle against Hannibal. Hannibal lost. And... And Maximus understands that that war was won with chariots and he can hear them behind the gates. He knows they're in trouble. And so he says to them, we must stay together. Don't separate, because those warriors are used to battling on their own. He says, we're only going to survive as we stay together. And then, as the chariots move in, he makes this statement, and he yells, as one, and they come together with their shields. As one shield protects another and protects another, and together, they defeat what's behind those gates of evil. Here's what it looks like. all you're going to see. Go rent it yourself. <laughs> Did you hear him? You might not have heard it in all the noise. He yelled as one and the shields went in place. Then he yelled diamond which is an, a, a formation as one where the shields then slant and, and you see that, that chariot fly. There are those moments when in our courage and this fullness of the Spirit on us he draws us together and he says for us for you to defeat this thing, you must be as one. So when I was in Haiti, I didn't see a whole lot of, of this denomination doing this and this denomination doing this. There is this interwoven as oneness that is fascinating. There's, there's, there's youth in America right now that have been raising funds called Speed the Light, who are sending over four-wheel drives and ambulances, and, and they're being shipped by people who are volunteering money and, and reducing rates to get them shipped over there. I rode in one of those. Not the ambulance, but the four-wheel. There are builders going over to build, and, and, and there are, are shipping companies who are shipping there are doctors and, and medical teams going over. One of the things I wanted to do for us when I was over there was connect with the guy who's doing building over there so our building team has somebody to connect to. You just can't show up and say, I'm here to build. But I couldn't, I couldn't find him. I'm sitting in the plane, heading back to Miami, and I hear this, this guy with his son in front of me talking to a man who was talking to another woman who said, oh, you're a shipper? And he said, yeah. She said, I need to ship some stuff over. And this guy said, oh, you're a shipper. I need to get some sh- stuff shipped over. He said, what do you do? He said, I build. I said, you build? He said, yeah, I'm the one that's building, rebuilding all the churches and the houses in Haiti. I mean, building all the, rebuilding all the churches and the schools in Haiti. I said, you live in Springfield, Missouri. He said, yeah. I said, you're the guy I'm looking for, sitting in front of me. So he has to go to get a plane, and we're walking through customs, trying to write stuff down, saying to the guy, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll go through in a minute. We're trying to get this information. But it's amazing how all of this is intertwining as God is bringing leadership together, and the people that are trying to help those in Haiti have come together as one. So I'm simply asking you that when you see a need, when you see a situation, when you see a person who's in need, you step to the front and you say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to be courageous, and I need your spirit, and then can you you join me, and can you join me, and God brings us together because we need to come together as one to help each other. It's the only way it's going to get done. And I'm not talking about programs. I'm talking about you being sensitive to the issues that surround you. God will lead you in that. I was sitting with with Ray, who's in his 70s. He's traveled the world. And I'm saying, what are you doing in Haiti? How did you get to Haiti? He said, because they need me. And then I found out that he's actually paying to be there because he wants to make a difference. I was talking to Kevin, and I said, Kevin, where's your wife? He said, well, normally she would be here with me, but he said, there's no medical attention here. We've just found out that she's pregnant, and I'm flying back on the weekend, and we're going to have the first picture of our child in the womb, and it's our first child. and, And so she stays there, and I work here. And I'm listening to all these sacrifices thinking, what have I sacrificed? Paul's letting us know that pure motives generate powerful motivation. And it's got to be pure. It's so common today to hear someone speak and, and say, Go, come do this. And we, and we, we question immediately. We are so cynical. We, we are so tired of politicians and the promises they make. And we always ask, What's, what's it in it for them? What's the hidden agenda? What are they really up to? And they, and they ask Paul the same question because he shows up and there's already shysters within that city. And so he responds to what they've asked. 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter. It says, you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. People are watching us carefully to see what our motives are. And Paul said, they're watching me, and here's what they saw. He said, there was no impure agenda. And that wording is, is very, very carefully placed. It, its an initial intent could be that there was no sexual impurity intended. I did not come there to hang out with the temple prostitutes, and I did not come to woo some woman into my bedchamber. I did not come with any sensuality, but in broad broadest sense, it means I did not come to get anything for myself. I came simply to bring them Jesus. In what we do, there can never be this sense that we came to help somebody so that we could get something in return. It must be purely, here's Jesus and that's all I have to offer and I'm here on his behalf. To lead is to serve. And I love the expression by former Admiral of the Navy, Vern Clark, who simply says, to serve is a noble thing. No impure agendas. He said there are no people-pleasing. That word people-pleasing, he actually is saying that the message I give and the kindness I share with others, I give to everybody regardless of ethnicity or economic status. The message is the message, and everybody gets a chance to hear it. Jesus hung out. With criminals, and he hung out with religious leaders, and he hung out with the poor, and he hung out with the wealthy. He said, everybody gets a chance. So I'm talking to David, the 20-year-old. I said, David, how did you get here? He said, I'm kind of raised in all, in all of this, this crisis stuff. He said, so I just need to be here. I said, well, how? He said, well, my parents went to, and, and, it, and I won't tell you the name of the country, but it's a former Soviet country. And, and so we went there and, and when we got there my, my mother discovered a mental hospital for children we walked in it was like being in a concentration camp they hardly fed the children they looked like they had come out of a, of a Nazi camp a woman would sit in the corner with a whip and if the kids acted up she would beat them and they would just wait for them to die She walked in and felt like God said, this is your assignment. So she began to bring them food and then she began to have influence with medical help. Bottom line is, she now runs the mental hospital. He said, but the peculiar thing is that my dad was accused of proselytizing in this country so he's been blackballed and kicked out. So he lives in this country adjacent to that country and my mom is here during the week and my dad is here during the week and then she comes over here to see him on the weekends and they have done that now for years and they sacrifice simply because those children need what she has to offer. To serve is a noble thing. He said there was, Paul said, no covert greed. He said I could have asked you as an apostle to, cover me because because you see those those fivefold gifts of the church apostle prophet pastor teacher evangelist they're there to protect to make sure motives are pure they have to be in place he said so i could have shown up and said you got to pay for my way here you've got to take care of me because it, it is a spiritual command you should do that but he said i didn't want anything to stand in the way of you hearing the message of jesus so i did my own thing and what he did is he he made tents he he established a business So understand that he had a business. So he'd have to go get the materials. He would have to create the tent. Then he'd have to go to the market and sell his tents. So every day, except for the Sabbath, he was working at his job. At night, he would go teach. And on the Sabbath, he would go teach. And what he taught on the Sabbath and in the evenings, he had to live out in his business. He had to make sure that he was was paying his vendors. He had to make sure the quality of his material was good. He had to make sure that his customer service is what he had promised because it would jeopardize the message he was giving. And I simply say to you who have businesses, you who manage, is what you declare through Jesus the same that you are living out in your business right now? He said there was no covert greed to get what I needed here and then to be something different here and there. He said it all was seamless. So I asked Kevin, I said, What is what is the major export of Haiti? And he thought for a moment, he said, There are problems. So that's how they get what they need. They just just give out their problems. And he said there are more NGOs, non-government organizations in that country than any place in the world. People have just come into that country always and and given and given and given and given and given and nothing's changed. He said we will not do that we will get these people on their feet and you saw a picture of Kevin earlier he's talking to some guys he's instructing them on how to take care of themselves we will teach them how to feed their own people and then we will teach them how to grow their crops we will teach them so that they are not dependent on anybody but God and they will take care of themselves and, and he does this Because I asked them, how are you going to sustain this? How's the sustainability? You just can't feed them, and then when you leave, somebody else is going to come in. What good is that going to be? Paul makes it very clear that genuine affirmation empowers sustainability. Dads, you remember when your daughter was learning how to ride her bike? And you got the training wheels off and you got behind her and and you held on to the back and and you're running next to her and she's wobbling back and forth and then she finally gets to that spot and she still thinks you're holding on but you let go and she freaks out when she realizes you don't you don't have a hold of the bike falls over and says, you what did you i Oh never do that again and yes you did you let go that's the affirmation I'm going to walk with you. You're not going to give up. And I'm going to eventually let go so that you can do this on your own. Paul said to them in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 6, As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we're like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and, coming and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. And if you want to know more about that passage, go back to our Mother's Day passage. We talked about that. And as you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children, we pleaded with you. Circle that word, pleaded. We encouraged you, circle encouraged. And we urged you, circle and urged you, to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Paul simply says right there three ways that he affirms. The first he said, we plead, and it simply means this, you've got to be the coach. It means to admonish, to come up to someone ready to quit and say, oh, no, 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 don't quit. I'm with you in this. Because if you're going to help people, you've got to coach them. When I was a senior in high school running track, we would be running 400-meter sprints, dying, and we get to the, toward the end of those, those repetitions of sprints and we'd be get ready to give up and suddenly, as we started, there would be our coach and he would race us. And as we're running, he would instruct us how to run better. Like the guy's in his 40s. I'm 17. And he's just sprinting along. But he's encouraging us, saying, here, run this way. Sprint hands, hands this way and, and take us around. You've got to do that for each other. Be the coach. He said, I want to encourage you. It means to be the close friend. It's the ability to get close enough to people that you share life with them. If you are working with someone in need, it doesn't mean that you go advise them once a week. It means you move into their life and say, hey, let's walk this together. We got to do that, which means it's got to be more than them joining together in Solomon's colonnade on, on the Sabbath, and then that's it. And, and we do that. We come together and we say, okay, good to see you. And if you need any help, give me a call. You know they need help. Move in with their life and walk it together. He also said, I'm urging you, which means to be the witness. The wording actually is the person who's on the witness stand and is exposing the truth. And the truth here is how do you live the way that Jesus wants you to live? How do you make it through this? I am a witness of that to you. This is how it's done. In our culture, we would say that a person's got game. Let me show you what I
1: mean. If you grew up in, in an urban environment, urban context, you you see a lot of basketball. You know, not to be stereotypical, but you do. And uh, it's always funny when you see a guy or girl come to the court and they have the right uniform on. They got the sweetest jersey you can imagine. Their shorts are just right. They got the best sneaks, you know, Jordans or something like that on. And they have a sweet ball. You know, they just look they just look apart and uh, and they ju- they just look apart and but when they get on the basketball court um, they can't play like they have no game they can't they can't a layup uh, they can't uh, they can't shoot to save their lives they don't know what a pick is just awful and they become an embarrassment on the basketball court well, I really think um, serving Jesus, um, being a part of the kingdom, um, that, that Jesus came, and as he started talking about the kingdom, he started giving us stuff that was kind of like, like pushing us as Christians onto the court to see if we have game. And so when he said things like, love your enemies, um, do good to those that hate you, um, you know, he started. He started pushing the envelope to see really um, whether those who were following him had gain. And I think those are the things that, for us as Christians, um, we have so much. We look the right part. We we have our Bibles and we know the right songs to sing and we give just how we're supposed to give. But when it comes down to um, to being. Uh, to knowing if we have game, that means that then we have to give ourselves for somebody else. That means we have to treat others better than ourselves. That means we have to love our enemies. And those things quickly tell us if we have game as believers. And so many times we find out that we get on the, we get on the court, the court of faith, and we got no game. So we're like that basketball player who looks good, can't, can't play.
0: Haiti is so crushed right now that if someone would rise up and say this way out, it would change a nation. But that person has got to have game. There are people around you, lives around you, a world around you that is crushed, and they're looking for a way out. And they're going to look to you and say, do you have game? You got game? Kevin, Ray, David, man, they got game. The second school we went to on Wednesday, two kids stood up, and they, were, they weren't rehearsed. They weren't prompted. They just they said, does anybody want to talk about what it means to be fed? And, and these two kids stood up. And, and the boy that you see, which would be on, on your right, or on the left, that, that boy stood up, and it was an amazing thing, he was so eloquent in, his, in, in what he had to say, and he just simply said this. He said, first of all, you've helped take away my hunger. Secondly, I can actually concentrate because I have food in me. He said then also, I've learned that Jesus loves me because of this. And then he did this. He said... So I ask God to bless you, that He will protect you, and that you will be able to give more food to us and to all the people who don't have food yet. Mercy. It blew us away. because some guys in Haiti... Got game. Those are leaders worth following. For a leader is a person who selects noble objectives and pursues them with such intensity and sacrifice that he carries others with him. You got game? Will you stand? I simply ask you to do one thing this week. When the moment arises and you know that you can make a difference, you courageously step into it. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you and gather others around you to accomplish it. And you will make a difference. So now, may you discover the power of that the Holy Spirit has within you. May you be sensitive to the moments around you and may you have the joy, the excitement of seeing lives change because of the courage that you exhibit at the moment. May you accomplish all that God has designed as you lead. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.